Good morning. Let's just get started by standing up for the reading of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. This is the word of God for the people of God. And God's people did say, Amen. You may be seated. I'm not a mind reader, but sometimes people think I do read minds. They walk into this room and they say, how did you know, David, what was going on in my life? Well, I'm not a mind reader. I'm just, I've just spent a lot of time with people. For the last 30 years, I've been listening to people tell me their stories and hearing about their experiences. So I know that every Easter, when the church is more full than usual, there are always individuals more than we know, who walk into this room and sit down for the service who are dealing with just a lot of heavy stuff in their life. I know that there will always be people here on Easter who are walking through some difficult things in life, that things in life just didn't turn out the way they thought they would. They made their plans, and then life happened, and what happened is made, their life has made faith really difficult to hold on to. Their dreams were crushed. Their, they experienced disappointment in life. I know that. And so as I thought about this morning and as I spent the last few weeks praying about this day and what would happen today and thinking about what I hoped for people who would be here, I began to pray this prayer. Lord, let everyone who walks into the building this weekend to hear the message and to experience her services. I just pray that whatever they're experiencing in their life right now, I just pray with all my heart that hope would begin to rise up inside of them. That they would hear a hopeful and helpful message. It would be a message of encouragement in life and new beginnings for them. Now, I believe that's true. Now, I don't know why you came here today, so let me just guess Maybe you're here because you always come to church on Easter and you just wouldn't expect to be anyplace else. Maybe you hear, came here because you came with your mom and your mom wanted you to go to church today. Or maybe you came to church today because someone bribed you. Or maybe you came to church today and you thought there was an Easter egg hunt, but you got a service instead. <laughs> right, there are a lot of reasons why we come to church on Easter. But let me tell you what I do believe. It's not an accident that you were here. 
You may have picked a reason to be here, but I believe in my heart that the Lord has chosen this day for you to be here for a very specific reason, because he wants to speak a word of hope to your life today. He wants to bring a word of encouragement to you. And there is something that's supposed to happen inside of all of us today. So let's bow our heads for a moment and let's, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for every person that's in the room today. And I don't believe it's an accident that we're here, that they're here. You designed this day and this moment for them. And I just pray that whatever they find themselves in, whatever may have crushed their hopes or made faith difficult for them, that they would experience a new hope in their life, a hope rising for the future. And I ask it in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Hey, did you get a card like this for Easter? I love that card. I feel, I just feel hollow on the inside. I, I like this one too. This is, this is almost as good. Easter basket case. I, I don't know, Doc. I just, I just feel so hollow on the inside. I like those cards because those cards really speak a truth about life. Every person in this room knows what it's like to feel hollowed out on the inside. That life happens to us in a way where life is just like this. It sometimes will kick the hope out of us and the leave is kind of empty and hollow on the inside. Do you ever feel just kind of hollow on the inside? I know you do. You remember the first time that you realized that life wasn't going to go the way I planned it. And I had this plan for my life and it didn't turn out that way. Maybe it was an illness or maybe it was a death. Maybe it was a terrifying diagnosis, which was followed with a hospital stays, chemotherapy, radiation, insurance claims. Or maybe for you, uh, that moment when life didn't turn out the way you planned, maybe it happened when you got divorce papers, or there was some kind of financial reversal in your life. Or maybe it happened when you wanted to have a family and you wanted to have kids and you tried and you tried and you tried and after a period you just realized this isn't going to happen for us. I know you're like me. You know, you, you plan your life. This is what I want my life to be about. And we make these plans for our life. And then when we grow up, we never dreamed that one day we'd go off to college, we'd get a four-year degree, we'd walk out of college with $50,000 in debt, and unemployed or unable to find a job to pay off the debt that we just spent four years accumulating. You know, nobody grows up in the dreams, you know, one day I'm going to get cancer when I'm 41. I'm going to be fired when I'm 56. I'm going to be alone at 30. I'm going to be divorced twice by the time I turn 45. This is not the way we plan our lives to be. And you know what? When you're young, when you're just a teenager, you never really think about getting old, do you? But it happens. You know how I can prove it? Go home after church today and pull out your high school annual like mine. I pulled out my ninth grade annual. <laughs> I look at that picture and I think, it's, I don't know. What happened? <laughs> you just get older. And then one day, you, one day, you know, you're in your 50s. 
and you look down at your hands and you go, I got my dad's hands. <laughs> I got my mom's hands. And one day you look at yourself and you look in the mirror and you realize that your weight has shifted from your poles to your equator. <laughs> and then you look at yourself and you think, you know, why can't I grow hair where I want it to grow? And why does it grow where I don't want it to grow? That's just life. I mean, have you ever heard these words before? Your position's been eliminated. I don't love you anymore. It may be dementia, and so we're going to have to run some tests. You didn't get accepted uh, in the school. We think that mom's had a stroke, and so you better come home real soon. Or how about this classic? Phone rings late at night. Uh, Dad, um, I'm at the police station. You know what I call those moments? Do you know what I call those moments in life when we just get hollowed out on the inside and life doesn't go the way we plan it? I call it Saturday. I call it Saturday. The Saturday experiences of life. You see, Saturday in the Easter story is that day between Good Friday and the day between Easter. It's that day when hope was lost and no one was dreaming of resurrection. It was that day when prayers were not being answered. It was that moment when they moved from the shock of the crucifixion to the deep despair of this is just what my life is going to be. You see, we spend a whole lot of time talking about Good Friday and the events that led to his crucifixion. And then we spend a whole lot of time talking about Easter as that hope-inspiring day when Jesus conquered death and overcame fear and love won over hate and life is new for all people. We talk about the wonderful gift of his resurrection, but we never, ever mention Saturday. Imagine what Saturday was like for the disciples, can you, for just a minute. On Saturday... All hope was gone for them. But just a few days earlier for the disciples, uh, they were in love with Jesus. They loved him. He loved them. They believed in him. He believed in them and saw things inside of them that no one else could even see. And when he spoke, the words the words that came out of his mouth were words of life and hope. And he talked about God in a way that everybody could understand. It was real and tangible. And he talked about compassion and mercy. And he gave religion life. And then he spoke to power with truth. Then he condemned religious hypocrisy. And then he loved and included those who had been excluded, and he touched and healed and, and gave. And he was this person of abundance in a world of scarcity. And they looked at him, and he said, follow me. And they went, and they believed. And everything was fresh and hope-filled. But then everything happened so quickly. A betrayal an arrest, a trial, a conviction, humiliation, agony, 
crucifixion on the outside city walls on a trash heap between thieves. Agony, thirst, and pleading. God, God, where are you? He cried. And then death and burial. That's Saturday. That's what Saturday is. Do you remember, do you remember um, Mel Blanc? Mel Blanc was the, um, the man of a thousand voices, and he was the voice of Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, all those characters in the Looney Tunes cartoons. And you may remember, if you ever watched a Looney Tune cartoon, they always ended in the same way. You know, Porky Pig came out, and he said, that's all, folks, remember? It means the story's over, that's all, folks. The, the story is over, end of the show. Well, do you know when he died, they buried him in the cemetery and put up a headstone. And just above his name, etched in the stone, is the word, that's all, folks. That's Saturday. They put him in a tomb and they rolled a stone in front of the tomb. And the world's way of saying, that's all, folks. No more. The show is over. And you see, on that Saturday, so long ago, none of the disciples even were dreaming of Sunday. Peter and John weren't working together on Saturday to prepare a press release for the resurrection. And Mary Magdalene wasn't back at home picking out a hat to match her Easter dress for the empty tomb. She was preparing spices to embalm a body. And Judas, on Saturday... Judas was not writing out carefully and scratching out and writing his apology to Jesus. No, he took a rope, he went into a field, and he hung himself. That's Saturday. That's our Saturday. It means that's all, folks. And we've all been there wondering on Saturday, where is God? How did this happen? Has God forgotten his promises? Does God even know? Does God even care? And, and in that moment, wondering if God does care and know, the big question is, does God have the power to do anything about it? You see, that's Saturday. That's the day you feel powerless. That's the day the treatment isn't working. That's the day that the addiction has overtaken you. That's the day that you go home from the cemetery and you walk into the house and you know you're going to be alone and you go into the bathroom and you see his toothbrush over the sink. That's Saturday. But this is why I love Easter so much. I love Easter because Easter is not a two-day story. It's a three-day story. Easter is three days. There's Friday, there's Saturday, and then there's Sunday. And what I love about Easter is that every Easter I get to come into this room and I get to tell the story in a way that just absolutely knocks the socks off of people. Because people have heard the Easter story so many times, it's kind of like watching Indiana Jones 10, 12 times. You've seen the movie over and over again. You know how it ends. 
And so we come in and we don't expect much. And what we've been told our whole life is that life is hard. Um, our dreams get shattered and broken. And someday we get to leave this world for a better place. You heard that. That's the message of Easter, right? But I want to tell you today is that the message of Easter, the hope of Easter is not the life after death. The hope of Easter is life before death. Oh, let me tell you, when you die, you're going to be with him. He's taking care of you. He's forgiven you. He's given you his grace. And you will experience eternal life with the creator God and his son, Jesus. All of us will. But that's not the whole story. He's not waiting for you in heaven. He's here for you now. You see, that's the message of Easter. Now, for you now, for your Saturday now. It's Saturday, but Sunday's coming. You see, I want to point out something to you. If you look around this room, there are crosses everywhere. Did you know that on every pew there are two crosses? Did you know there's six crosses on this side of windows, six crosses on that side of windows, four crosses on this piece of furniture itself? There's a cross right here in the floor where the communion table sits. Every window in this building has a cross. Now, we look at that and we're not amazed at that, but anybody in the first century would because the cross was a symbol and an instrument of physical torture and humiliation in psychological terror. But on Sunday, when Jesus walked out of the grave, he demonstrated his power to take something ugly and awful and horrific and turn it into the very thing that would give us grace, freedom, and salvation, an instrument of love. And he took something ugly and made it beautiful. Don't you know that's our story too? That there's nothing in your life so dark that he can't shine light on. There's nothing in life that he can't turn that's ugly, turn into something that's beautiful. Because that's who he, he's in the transformation business. Have you heard this story? It's a story of uh, two men in an art gallery. And they're staring at a painting. Beautiful painting of two men playing chess. Seated on the opposite ends of the table, there's a chessboard in the middle. One man looks very concerned. It's apparent he's about to lose the match. Well, then at the table is a rather demonic-looking individual. You might, it doesn't say, but it might be the devil himself who's grinning ear to ear, and it appears that he has the upper hand. Well, you know he does because the title of the painting is Checkmate, Checkmate, and it means essentially that he has won. The devil has won the chess match, and the other man, the frightened, concerned man, has no more moves left. Well, it just so happens that of the two men standing there, one man, the first man, is an international chess champion. He's staring at the painting and staring at the painting and tells his friend, you go on, I want to look at the painting a little bit longer. There's something about this painting that troubles me a little bit. He stares at the painting, he stares at the painting, and finally exclaims, there's something wrong with this painting. He still has another move. This game isn't over. So he calls his friend back. His friend comes back and says, now you know I'm an international chess champion and I've been staring at this painting and we need to call the curator of the museum that, or they find the artist and they either need to change the title or change the painting because it's not checkmate because the king still has one more move. Now if we were in an African American church when I delivered that punch slide, this place would explode right now. <laughs> so let me say it one more time. <laughs> 
But, but in Middletown, we give the polite little golf clap. <laughs> or the nod, or maybe an amen from George in the back. <laughs> so let me give the one time one more time. The king still has one more move. Okay. So, so. Because Easter... <laughs> Because Easter's a three-day story. It's like David. Little boy David. Little boy David is up against the giant. King Saul gives him his armor. His armor's a size 44 long, but David's a 34 short. <laughs> it looks like checkmate, but the king still has one more move, you know? And then there's old Moses. Moses has led the people of God through the wilderness to the Red Sea. He's got the Red Sea in front of him. He's got the Egyptian army behind him. He's got a bunch of of malcontents around them wanting to lynch him for dragging them out in the desert. It looks like checkmate, but God says the king still has one more move. So he raises a staff, and God does a karate chop right down the middle of the Red Sea because the king still has one more move. Or Daniel in the lion's den. The king throws Daniel into the lion's den of hungry lions because Daniel won't stop praying. The next day the king comes back and finds Daniel still praying. And Daniel informs him, it's not checkmate. The king still has one more move because the king just put the lions on a low-protein diet. <laughs> or Paul and Silas. <laughs> it's a three-day story. You see, Paul and Silas, they're beaten with an inch of their life and they're thrown in jail. About midnight, Paul says, I think it's time we start praying. And Silas said, well, I'll do the singing. So here they are in a jail cell in the middle of the night, be with an inch of life, unsure about the future. Paul is praying and Silas is singing. It looks like checkmate, but the king still has one more move. He breaks open the cell. Paul and Silas leave. And instead of abandoning the jailer, they baptize his whole family. That's what God can do. And so you see... He was mocked, he was humiliated, he was beaten, they crucified him, they buried him in a tomb, and they sealed it with a large stone. And the religious authorities and the Roman Empire said, that's all, folks. The story is over. But on Sunday, the Lord said, the king still has one more move. Yeah. So, you know, I know you walked in here beleaguered, beat up, and down, and you feel like your life is out of options. It looks like checkmate. But I want to tell you the king still has one more move. Let me show you a photograph of a beautiful little girl. You see Morgan. Her name is Morgan Villanova, and she's going into an MRI machine. Her mom and dad are Dwayne and Denise Villanova. They were married in this sanctuary on a Saturday night. Now, when they got married, they brought three kids each to the family. They went from a family of two to a family of eight. Now, you would think that was enough misery for anybody, wouldn't you? <laughs> and then they added two more. You want to talk about having Saturday, have eight kids, teenagers and children. Wow, who can do that? The Villanovas did. Well, it put them in a lot of financial uncertainty, some economic uncertainty, loss of jobs, different things, and, and boy, they were just down for the count. And then when their daughter Morgan, the youngest at the age of five, was not feeling well, they took her to the emergency room and found out that she had cancer. They removed a five-pound tumor, 
malignant tumor from her kidney. And Denise told me, Denise's mom says, David, how do you tell your little girl that she has cancer? She said, those were some really hard days. We didn't expect it. It tested our faith. We didn't know how we were going to get through it. Now, they did get through it. That's Morgan on the last day of her chemotherapy. She's a fighter. Uh, She says, I can't keep calm. It's my last day of chemo. And I asked Denise, how did you get through it? And she said, you know, every day the Lord just kept showing up. She said, the church bought us, some, brought us some Thanksgiving baskets. And just at the right moment, we couldn't pay our electric bill. Somebody paid the electric bill for us. We didn't even know who it did. And God just kept showing up in forms of friends. And we thought it was over. We thought it was Saturday, but Sunday just kept coming. And then she said, You'll n- we'll never forget this one day. Let me show you the next photograph. See the beautiful woman with uh, the gray hair? She's sitting right over here. And that's Morgan, obviously very healthy. And this was taken at Christmas. The woman in the picture is a member of our congregation. She raised her four kids in this church. She's also a chemo nurse. So the Lord arranged it for Morgan's first day of chemo for this woman to be her nurse. Come on now, you know what her name is? Hope. (laughs) Hope rising. Now, I I don't want to be too simplistic, but I do want to tell you this this morning. You look at your life, and it feels like Saturday to you. It feels like your life is in the middle of a Saturday for you right now in your life. But I want to remind you, that the story, the story of Easter is a three-day story. And your story is a three-day story. It just may just be day two. And I just want to plead with you and urge you to tell you that if you will place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, the one that got up out of the dead has the power and the vision and the capacity and the love to lift you up out of that dark place you're in if you'll just place your trust in him. That's why the apostle Peter who saw Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, would later write in 1 Peter 1.3, would write, Praise be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us the wonderful inheritance of living hope in the resurrection. You see, hope is not a thing, it's a person. He is our living hope. If you place your hope in your health, if you place your hope in your friends, if you place your hope in your relationships, you place your hope in your career, those are all good things. But ultimately, all those things will perish and disappoint you. But if you place hope in someone, you'll never be disappointed. Because in your life, it may feel like today is Saturday, but remember It's a three-day story. It looks like checkmate. But the king has one more move. Because hope is on its way.